Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and thank you for joining me today. It's absolutely fantastic to be back, and Happy New Year. I can hardly wait for what God's going to bring this year. And I have a verse of the year. I know some of my colleagues were going to tune in to hear what it was. I was trying to hold them off in suspense, so here it is. The verse of the year that I'm going to focus on comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what I'm going to hope to do, and you can keep me accountable. And if you want to join me on that verse and make that your verse of the year, I'd love to have some company. Philippians 4, verse 8. So nice to have Rob Bluey back on the program for another season. It's 2023 and there's lots happening in Washington DC where he lives. Always love to hear what's going on. He's the executive editor at the Daily Signal and you are always welcome to uh, go ahead and send Rob a question. You could do it on our text line at 877-933-2484. Rob, welcome and happy new year. Thanks Bill. Happy new year to you as well. Yeah. Uh, how were your holidays with family? All went well? Everything was wonderful. The kids had a special Christmas, and uh, we enjoyed some time to to recharge our batteries and, and get ready for a busy 2023. And uh, so far, it's not disappointing. <laughs> I mean, right across the street of the U.S. Capitol, we are watching history unfold before our eyes. Uh, not in 100 years has a vote for the U.S. House Speaker gone be- beyond one ballot, and we're already... Uh, uh, approaching number four. Uh, and this is all they've done today. They can't get anything oh, done until they elect wow. the speaker. So literally the people's house is uh, is is deadlocked. Um, nobody can get to the 218 votes that are needed. And uh, Kevin McCarthy is obviously the, 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 the Republican choice by, by you know, 200 some, but there are, are 20 holdouts among the Republicans that are denying him that uh, job of speaker, and uh, it appears that we're going to probably go into another day uh, at this point with, uh, without having resolution. So certainly something to, to, to pay attention to and keep an eye on. So, Rob, who are the holdouts uh, on the Republican side or the Democrat side? Well, so all of the Dem- the Democrats are unified be- behind uh, a gentleman by the name of Hakeem Jeffries. He has replaced Nancy Pelosi as the new leader of the, the House Democrats. So Pelosi... Okay. And Steny Hoyer, who was the majority leader, and Jim Clyburn, and they've all stepped down uh, primarily because they had made a commitment to to pass the baton to the next generation, uh, and they they honor that that commitment and that promise, and so they are no longer uh, among the Democratic leaders, although they remain members of Congress. 
And so a new uh, a new cast of characters is the leadership in the Democratic position. The Democrats have, have unified behind Jeffries, but th- remember the Democrats are in the minority, so they can vote for for Jeffries each and every time. But he's going to cap out at 212 votes. Uh, that's his yeah. his uh, his ceiling. Now Republicans, you asked about the 20. Uh, they come from uh, a variety of of different places. Uh, most of them are are conservatives who are concerned about. Some of the, the big issues that you and I talk about week after week, the, the, the fiscal insanity that is, is taking place across the, the street uh, from where, where I'm looking in the Capitol and, and the, the lack of um, any kind of creative ideas for how to get you know, our country back in, into a fiscally responsible uh, mode of operating. They're concerned about some of the changes that have made, been made to House rules over the course of uh, the previous few Congresses, uh, taking away power from individual members of Congress to represent the interests of the people. By that, I mean things like uh, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, for instance, said today they haven't been able to, members of Congress haven't been able to offer an amendment on the House floor since 2016. I mean, that just hmm. seems shocking uh, that, a, that a member couldn't do that. And, uh, and I think finally, uh, they want to guarantee that there will be conservatives uh, who have a seat on powerful committees, like the Rules Committee, which ultimately decides what bills go to the floor. And so there's a combination of things that they're asking for. They're asking McCarthy to make some of these concessions and promises. And so far, he's been unwilling to do so. In fact, he, he was emboldened uh, this morning saying that he's earned the right to the job and it's, and it, it's his job. Um, so uh, they're denying him that opportunity. And unless he gets to 218 votes, which is the magic number that he needs, um, we're going to continue to vote, uh, vote after vote. Uh, this is uh, not we've not seen anything like this since 1923, uh, and in the 1800s, this went uh, on wow. for for days and even months. Uh, two, it took two months in the 1800s to get a House speaker. So not completely unprecedented, but something that probably most of your listeners haven't seen in their life, lifetime. Yeah. So Rob Louie, do they not want Kevin McCarthy, or what is the holdup? They have said that they are willing to vote for McCarthy, but they want him to agree to these promises. They want him to put certain members on on these powerful committees. Uh, they want to, the basically the business as usual or the status quo to come to an end. So the lobbyists and the others who have a have a lot of influence in terms of who ends up where, uh, they want that uh, to come to an end, and they want to have a seat on these committees as well. They want to see certain promises about uh, bills to come to the floor for a vote. The, the ones that have been mentioned specifically, for instance, are a bill, uh, a balanced budget bill. So uh, as, <laughs> as as you and I know, uh, you know this has been an area that that the House and the Senate have really struggled with. Uh, we just saw this play out in December. They had a deadline of December 23rd, and as we've seen so often right before Christmas, they end up caving and and giving in and passing a huge uh, Mm. appropriations bill, spending a lot of money. Well, they want to have a vote on a balanced budget. And then the other thing that they've asked for is a vote on term limits. They want to uh, have the, the House vote on term limits. Now, a lot of these things, because the Democrats control the Senate, probably won't end up going anywhere. So a part of it's a little bit of a head scratcher as to why McCarthy wouldn't agree to some of their requests. And, and bring an end to this. But, uh, but he says that he's not going to be held hostage. He's going to do things his way. Uh, in his defense, he's made some concessions already, but he's not gone as far as these members of Congress want to go. And they say that they'll vote for him if he, if he does, but uh, it doesn't appear that he's willing to make the changes. Rob, does it look like he's uh, playing, uh, playing tough guy right from the start? 
Oh, yeah. No, there's no there's no question about that. He went into the conference meeting with the Republicans <laughs> today uh, very much uh, with, with, uh, with a chip on his shoulder and an ego. Yeah. And, uh, and I think okay. that he, uh, he thinks that he can wait this out. He thinks that, you know, it'll be uh, it, it'll probably take a while. It'll take multiple ballots before they get there. But I think he's he's he senses that maybe as as past experience has shown that if he waits long enough, that uh, they'll they'll relent and, and cast their votes for him. Bill, I think that things are different this time. I think that if if your listeners remember back to somebody like a John Boehner, who was reluctantly the choice of a lot of conservatives, uh, he ultimately was able to win them over through making some concessions to them individually. It doesn't seem that McCarthy's playing that same game, uh, which as a politician, you know, that's that's oftentimes you, how you get what you want. But this time, it seems that these 20 Republicans are just unwilling to budge, and they're they're going to take the wrath, even if it means that they'll be, you know, lampooned or scorned or or have attack ads run against them. They think that there's a bigger fight here at stake. Wow, amazing! Rob Blue is my guest, executive editor at the Daily Signal. Head over to DailySignal.com. Let's talk about what some of the investigations might happen with the new Congress. Yes. Well, this is one area where, despite the fact that there probably won't be a whole lot of legislation that uh, gets, gets mm-hmm. across uh, through a divided House uh, and uh, divided Congress, that is, a Democratic-controlled Senate and a Republican-controlled House, one of the things that lawmakers can do is certainly cause a lot of trouble for the Biden administration when it comes to investigations. Now, over the course of the first two years the, of, of Biden's first term, there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, the, those types of oversight investigation because Democrats have been in control of both houses of Congress. Republicans, once they have the gavel of, for these committees, will be in a position to start calling witnesses, to demanding documents. And one of the first areas that we expect them to focus on is the border crisis. Uh, there have already been articles of impeachment filed against Alejandro Mayorkas. He's the secretary of Homeland Security. That is certainly an area that Republicans are going to pay a lot of attention to. And it's just one of many uh, of the types of investigations that I expect we'll see. Uh, I think that we'll hear more about COVID. We'll probably see something on Hunter Biden. And you can go down the list of of different policy issues, and there will be something that Republicans or their committees uh, will be attempting to do. So that is going to be probably where most of the headlines are made for the next two years because of uh, the nature of how divided government works in Washington, D.C. So, Rob, do I have it uh, correct that we've got uh, Republicans and Democrats and then two independents? Is Bernie Sanders and now uh, Kirsten Sinema an independent? It makes that, that three. The- uh, Angus King of Maine is also an independent. Now, the the thing about it is, cinema uh, is slightly different than the other two. Angus King and Bernie Sanders are independents, although they caucus with Democrats in the Senate, meaning that by by all intents and purposes, they are they are Democrats. Cinema mm-hmm. has has indicated that she will be different in the in the regard that um, you know she will not be as closely aligned with Democrats and everything. That would be you know, true, just based on looking at her voting record for the past couple of years. I mean, she and Joe Manchin were the two Democrats who were most often likely to to break from their own party and and, uh, either vote against different uh, initiatives or or delay things from ever reaching the floor to begin with. So it'll be interesting to watch how um, she takes certain votes. I think that the votes that will be probably the most interesting, because this is where the Senate (laughs) does a lot of work, are, are on nominations. Does she uh, buck the Biden administration on on certain judges or or, uh, political appointees? I I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, she also has to be looking over her shoulder in Arizona 
and recognizing that now she could face the challenge from uh, the left, and there could be a Democrat who who runs against her uh, for, mm-hmm. for Senate. And uh, that state, as we know, having just elected a Democratic senator and a Democratic governor this past November, uh, is is shifting. Its demographics are shifting. So uh, she's got to be careful. She still has to pay attention to, to her home turf. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little break. We're talking to Rob Bluey, who is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Always check it out, dailysignal.com. When we come back, I got lots more questions for Rob. And if you have one, all you have to do is text it over to me, 877-933-2484. And I'll ask Rob on your behalf. Again, 877-933-2484. Please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible gift to Faith Radio before the year ends. You can give now by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 or join the support team at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. So glad to be back with Rob Bluey, the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And Rob, with the new Congress uh, showing up, who would you consider to be some of the rising stars to be uh, paying attention to on both sides? Oh, yeah. Well, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, on the uh, th- there are so many different uh, uh, voices uh, that, uh, that come to Washington. Of course, you know, this past election that we saw, not, not a whole lot of turnover, but uh, there, there were, were a few names to... Uh, to, to focus on. I'll start in Ohio with uh, the Senator J.D. Vance. Uh, of course, oh, yeah. uh, J.D. Vance is somebody who first made his name as, as an author of a book named Hillbilly Elegy, and uh, he is uh, somebody who brings more of a populist streak to, uh, to office. He is, uh, is, is probably one of those people who, you know, in the uh, spirit of uh, somebody like a, a Josh Hawley or before him, Mike Lee, uh, you know, is um, uh, not always going to, to vote the same way <laughs> that, that other members of, of the you know, Republican Party would vote. So, you know, they always make things interesting, uh, to, to say the least. And, uh, and you know, he is, um, you know, he, he's a, a Republican uh, a rookie, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Katie Britt. Uh, she takes fills an important seat in Alabama. Richard Shelby. He's one of those big spending Republicans who negotiated the appropriations bill uh, last year. So Katie Britt will uh, fill his seat. She's interesting to watch because obviously Alabama, being a very conservative state, is um, you know is in a position where you know you have. Uh, People who you know probably appreciate some of the money that Shelby sent that way, but at the same time would would like to see us uh, be more fiscally responsible in terms of how we are are spending that money. Um, of course, you have you know the the controversial senator from Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, one of the most intensely watched states. He was able to flip a seat that had belonged, you know, that a Republican held, Pat Toomey, for for many years. Fetterman, of course, had a stroke while he was on the campaign trail, uh, and right before the Democratic primary, ended up winning that primary election, and then uh, you know stayed off the campaign trail, uh, but was able to 
uh, beat uh, uh, Dr. Oz and uh, and now finds himself uh, as a U.S. senator. So, you know, those are uh, those are a few of the names of, of individuals who, who mm-hmm. have uh, made their way to Washington and will uh, will hopefully be uh, doing the responsible thing and, and governing. Uh, but it's 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 not a lot. You know, this was. Uh, what what some pollsters have d- dubbed the Seinfeld election. It was a, an election about nothing. <laughs> hmm. And that's why there wasn't a whole lot of change or turnover. Uh, retiring members were obviously replaced. But when it came to making big changes, we know there, that red tsunami or that red wave that everyone was predicting just did not materialize. And you pretty much ended up with the status quo. Mm-hmm. Rob, what's the storyline in January of 23 on inflation? Well, things are still uh, bad, uh, and uh, on a global scale, it appears getting worse. I mean, the United States, in many ways, I think, was a precursor to what's taking place now across the globe. And so I think we need to be uh, continue to watch this pretty closely. Uh, what, where it could get scary is that if it starts impacting the global economy, uh, that's where I think fears tend to rise. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for this. Um, as we As we just saw the government continues to, to spend more and more money, and we know that that is the primary source and cause of, of inflation. And so until we get some of that spending under control, I, I unfortunately don't think that we'll be in a situation where uh, we'll be able to bring that 7%, 8% inflation down. And then there are some other issues uh, on the global scale where, where this is um, you know, having a big impact. And the Federal Reserve, uh, while it's moved swiftly of late um, to, to raise interest rates, really was you know, too slow and didn't act soon enough. And so I, I think that those higher prices are probably going to be with us, particularly with certain goods and services, maybe more so than others. And uh, we all just experienced it with, with Christmas gifts and everything else over the holidays. And so, uh, you know, as we pay off the, the credit card bills and everything else, Bill, I think that uh, American savings rates are going to continue to drop, and that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. You can always head to dailysignal.com. There's a great article there, Rob, on the CDC urging teachers and administrators and nurses to adopt the LGBT curriculum and endorse transgender identity. Yeah, it's, uh, Bill, it's, it's one of those issues, uh, you know, when we talk about the culture war, this is one of those issues where, you know, we, I think conservatives and Christians have to be really uh, at, at the forefront uh, to, to combat this. So there are so many different institutions and forces that are, are signing on for this agenda and the, in, in the unlikeliest of places sometimes. And so we, uh, we need to be out there talking common sense, making sure that our kids, uh, first and foremost, are, are, are being taught by their parents and not schools or some other institution about this, uh, par- particularly uh, well before they should uh, ever hear about this. You might remember Florida put in place uh, some restrictions on, on when these subjects could be taught in schools. And, and yeah, I think that um, it, in many cases you have a situation where it's the pressure that, uh, that so many organizations feel, particularly you know, whether it be in the medical community, whether it be in education, to embrace this type of lifestyle when in many ways we see the consequences and we have people who have lived this life warning us against going down this path, particularly for young kids who are sometimes just confused and need uh, love and support and not necessarily be rushed to the doctor's office to make life-altering decisions. Yeah, amen to that. Rob, has your son come home yet from school uh, asking dad about some dubious thing he heard at school? 
You know, uh, we we uh, so we just had uh, the family life education unit. Uh, they used okay. to did that in December, and uh, for the most part, you know, they they make all of this information available to parents. You know, so we have access to all the slides and everything. And of course, they teach these during you know physical education, and the gym teachers usually do the instruction. So it's a little bit of a, of a head scratcher <laughs> in that regard. But uh, but no, you know, we 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 try to have conversations with them and make sure that they they understand and know know what they're doing. And for the most part, things things uh, the through official channels, I've not been as concerned. It's the things that happen usually in the hallway or amongst friends that are you, you know you, you you tend to be a little bit more concerned about. Um, and I think that's probably always been the case, even to when you and I were in school. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, it's, uh, that's where I think parents having that conversation and not being afraid, you know, to talk to their kids about these, these tough topics is, is really important. Uh, because sometimes kids just have questions, and if you give them an opportunity to have that forum and that discussion with you, they'll raise things and you'll be able to sort it out before it gets to the point where, you know, you're in this awkward situation and you're, you're dealing with somebody who, you know, has, has confided in a school nurse or somebody else. And then the parents are, are, you know, in some cases, Bill, don't even have a seat at the table because the schools Mm -hmm. are are, are now told not to, um, not to include them for fear that whatever fear that they have, it's, it's really, really disappointing. And, and that's why I think you see so many lawsuits and so many parents who've been in those, those situations speaking out, going to school board meetings, because they don't want others to experience what they've had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Rob, what about uh, any updates with big tech? Oh, yeah. Well, in fact, uh, just earlier today, uh, a new batch of the Twitter files dropped. Uh, this one was focused on how the intelligence community uh, infiltrated Twitter and was you know, uh, going through Twitter users' accounts and, and looking for, for all sorts of information related to Russia on the 2016 campaign. So Elon Musk uh, took a little bit of a break uh, for the holidays, but uh, he's back today uh, revealing more uh, internal documents and other information about what was going on at Twitter. And so I, I've lost count of how many iterations this is now, but I mean, certainly it's uh, it's it's exposing what big tech was doing and the censorship that was taking place. And, you know, I think that it's going to put pressure on these other platforms. Uh, now that Musk is revealing what is taking place at Twitter, uh, you can imagine it was only worse at, at places like Facebook and Google that uh, probably are also, um, you know, in a, in a situation like that. So we need to continue to be vigilant. We need to continue to, to speak out when we are censored and do everything we can to raise awareness about this issue. Mm-hmm. Rob, will this hurt or help? Twitter in the long run? I think it ultimately probably helps restore some of the trust and credibility, although I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen is those more, you know, liberal Democrat-leaning users of Twitter have have maybe started to abandon the platform because they think that, you know, Musk is is (laughs) giving them a dose of, of, of the medicine that conservatives and Christians have felt for the last few years. So, Mm-hmm. I hope Twitter continues to be a robust platform for for debate and conversation. But at the end of the day, Bill, we just have to remember that Twitter represents just a microcosm of the conversation that takes place in this country. And even if it is dominated by the elites in New York and Washington and L.A., uh, there are so many good people doing great things out there. And we shouldn't let Twitter uh, persuade us <laughs> too much. Yeah. My last question, did Dad get soap on a rope for Christmas? 
Yeah, <laughs> I got I got a, a bunch of great presents, uh, including a, a brand a brand new. No, I did not get soap on a rope, but I got the, I got this beautiful new uh, American flag, which we're probably hanging outside the house and made in America, and it's sweet, it's sweet. Just, it's it's great. So um, no, and, and I hope all of your listeners had a, had a great Christmas as well. Thanks, and, Rob, and enjoy this new year. We got to jump. We'll be right back with Dr. Alex McFarland. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just joined me, I am so glad to be back with you today. I am hoping that you are uh, not battling weather too badly. It is uh, pretty rough here in the Twin Cities. We were in the middle of a whiteout today, which was kind of fun, um, and I say that a little sarcastically. But I'm always glad to talk to Dr. Alex McFarlane. He's my friend. He's a Christian apologist. He's an author. He's an evangelist. He's a religion and culture analyst and an advocate for biblical truth. Not to name drop, but Charles Colson said, I believe that Alex McFarlane is going to be one of the great leaders in the church. Nobody organizes apologetics and worldview conferences as well as Alex and his team. And there you go. Alex, Welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. It's great to be with you. Happy New Year, my brother. And, Happy New uh, Year to you. For those kind sentiments from the late, great Chuck Colson, we oh, I know. give God all the glory. Amen to that. So, Alex, as you know, a lot of people start the New Year saying, look, it, I'm going to take on a, a a Bible reading program, or I'm going to get more serious this year than I ever have before, which is all wonderful. But I would love for us to chat a little bit about scripture engagement, how interacting with the biblical text in a way that the text speaks to you through the power of the Holy Spirit and really helps us to grow in our faith and transforms who we are. Oh, wow. That's a great, great question. Great aspiration for the new year to really be into the Word of God. And, uh, you know, uh, regarding daily Bible reading on the part of the believer, I'm for it. You know, uh, (laughs) I'm very blessed to have a wife that also believes in reading the Bible. And Angie and I, for 33 years, we have, and you know, Bill, I don't like to refer to myself because I'm not, I don't ever want to be like, oh, look at us or something like that. Because, you know, you know me, and I'm just a, a knucklehead who's been blessed by the grace of Jesus in countless ways. But Angie and I, when we got married, we, we said we're going to try every day of our married life to read a devotional. And we would get like Our Daily Bread or Streams in the Desert or Morning and Evening Devotions by Charles Spurgeon, which, by the way, is an amazing book. Um, They put out one a couple of years ago to try to maybe make the Victorian English a little more accessible, kind of a, a slightly modernized without at all compromising the message version. But morning mm-hmm. and evening by Charles Spurgeon is—I have it. It, it has sh- deeply shaped our lives. But um, mm-hmm. then but, you know, we twice in our married life, Angie and I did this together: read three chapters a day and five on Sunday. Very painlessly, you'll read the Bible in a whole year. And nice. I mean, like take you fifteen minutes through the week, twenty-five mm-hmm. minutes on Sunday. 
and you'll read the Bible in a year. Now, there have been times when I've been on the road traveling, and we've missed having morning devotions. We would, And then there have been times when I've been out of the country, and we didn't get to talk for two or three days. But um, as a couple, if, if somebody listening is a married couple, try to have devotions with your spouse. Do you know, Bill, when I was working for folks on the family, and this has been you know, 15 years ago, but still I thought it was a pretty amazing statistic that um, actually, of all things, it was Harvard University did a study about married couples that have kind of a spiritual, you and I would call it quiet time or having devotions mm -hmm. or you know prayer time, but they were talking about like some moment where as a couple together, they would have spiritual reflection. You know, read the Bible, read Open Windows or Our Daily Bread or such. Um, I know Charles Stanley has a real good webpage. I saw it this morning. Uh, Charles Stanley has a daily devotional online. But anyway, Harvard University said when couples have a prayer time together daily, the divorce rate was like one in 1,011. Wow. In other words, just almost nothing. And so... I think reading the Word of God, obviously, as a believer, that's we're supposed to be intentional about our spiritual growth. But I just think as a married couple, it's really good to have prayer and some Scripture every day with your, with your spouse. Mm -hmm. Alex, why is reflecting on Scriptures difficult? I mean, I, I, my guess is that people have a tendency to avoid things that might cause them to change. <laughs> It might be. Maybe. Well, yeah. you know, it seems like, Bill, there's kind of a perception that the Bible is, quote, too hard for me or something like that. And I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and they'll say, you know, I'd like to get in the Bible, but, you know, Alex, I'm no scholar. I'm no academic. Look, uh, that's for, forget about that. Psalm 119, verse 18 is a wonderful prayer. It says, open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wonderful things from your word. And then, you know, James 1 verse 5 says, if we ask for wisdom, God will give it abundantly. And so let me encourage you, don't, don't talk yourself into, you know, inactivity and say, oh, I'm not smart enough or something. You are smart enough because the Spirit of God indwells you. And the Spirit of God that gave the words of Scripture will be your tutor. First John 2.27 says, The Spirit that abides in you remains and will teach you all things. That's great. So mm -hmm. God's Holy Spirit says he'll, he'll open up the Word. And, Bill, I think it's important. In John 5.39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for they testify of me. And I, I really do believe being in the Word of God is kind of the X factor between the the Christian that's just kind of coasting or on a roller coaster of up and down and the Christian that's really thriving. I mean, if you want to thrive as a believer and have joy and stability amidst the storms of life, invest in your prayer time, invest in your time in God's Word. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Alex, I picked a verse this year I'm going to focus on, and you know it well, but I'd love to walk through it with you and get some of your uh, take on it. And that, of course, comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble or honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Mm. You picked a great one. Uh, I mean, and and don't you feel like, and I I do want to talk about that verse, but when you drill down deeply into a particular verse, and and there are several that I've really, you know, first and second Peter, I've just probably about five years ago, I just thought, I want to get everything I can out of first and second Peter. And when you ruminate and meditate on a passage, it just, it comes alive, doesn't it? It and, does. You know, um, Philippians 4, 8 is so good. I've got to ask you, what led you to focus in on that verse? Well, I found out in this broken world, there's so much deception and so much lying and so much uh, ugliness and so much pain and suffering that I wanted to lay a template across all the things that come across my my thought and mind this year. Uh, So Mm -hmm. is what I'm about to hear or say, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Mm -hmm. Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? And I want to be thinking on these things. So when I have thoughts that come into my mind that Satan might want to use to throw me off track, I think, well, no, I need to go back and think about such things as what is true and what is right and what is pure and what is lovely and what is admirable. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. Um, I think you and I have commented on this before, but um, there's a wonderful colleague and friend named Dr. Gary Habermas, who's just such a, he's known really for two things. He's the world expert on the resurrection of Christ and just ancient evidence for the resurrection and what all that means and the eyewitness testimony uh, proving Christ's you know victory over the grave. But he's also an expert on ancient evidence for the life of Christ in general, and Habermas has written a lot about that. Brilliant guy, um, PhD from Michigan State on the faculty of liberty and adjunct at a lot of places like Wheaton and around the world. But um, one of his favorite verses is Philippians 4, 8. And mm. he talked about the, the implication, you know, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is, you know, praiseworthy and right and pure and lovely and admirable, you know, think on these things. And it, it really, the implication, Habermas would say, is as opposed to other things, you know, mm-hmm. focus on the things that are good and true and uh, not the things that are false and you know, um, de, you know, uh, depressing and deconstructive. Think on the the good and the true and the beautiful, as philosophers would say. And Habermas, I've heard him teach on this many times. He would say that really Philippians four eight, and I know this is going to sound a little like psychobabble, but it really is a, a thought replacement process. Mm-hmm. And Habermas says part of our, you know, the privilege of being a believer. And really, a stewardship issue is to retrain our mind. It's like Paul talks about in Romans, renewing our mind. You know, we often tell ourselves, you know, I'm a failure. No, you're not. In Christ, you're a victor. You know, God, God surely must not love me anymore. No, he does. Uh, he, will, he will never stop loving you. Uh, maybe God has abandoned me. No, he, Hebrews 13 says he will never leave us or forsake us. So when Philippians 4, 8 is saying, you know, think about what is good and true and beautiful and upright and upbuilding. It's really telling us to replace the false negative thoughts with the positive true thoughts which are found in God's Word. 
and there there's I completely believe there is intellectual emotional spiritual potentially even physical benefit from fixating ourselves and filling our mind with the the truths of God's eternal word rather than transient emotions or the news of the world. I really think, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say, the, the healthiest thing you can do is to fill your soul with the Word of God and meditate on it every day. That's so good. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. And Alex, when it comes down to Philippians 4.8, the challenging part for me will be the application part because I'm trying to act bold and confident going forward, but I know this is going to be a journey for me. Well, it is for all of us, but um, isn't it a beautiful thing that, you know, even if you've been a believer for a lot of years, or maybe even what we would think is a lot of decades, you can mm -hmm. still find some brand new nugget in the Word of God that, that you didn't know before. Um, the, the words, uh, one of the words that, that is such a beautiful thing there is in the Word, in uh, Philippians 4, 8, is the Word says if if there's any virtue if there be any praise think on these things and some translations will say if there's any excellence well mm -hmm. read again if you would what does your translation say well mine does say that mine says um the if anything be excellent or praiseworthy think about yes. such things as these and and the word excellent in the greek is the word from which we get the word erudite uh, okay. E R U D I T E. Like, if somebody's a great speaker, very articulate, very artful in their speech, they'll say, "Well, somebody is very erudite. Mm -hmm. They use language with excellence." And that that word erudite, and there are other words in there. But um, think about this: we might think about somebody who is um, a gifted communicator, but we need to be um, gifted or skilled, erudite in just the way our thought processes. And I really think it begins with acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus, praising God daily. There, there's a lot, a lot of benefit, I believe, psychologically, Bill, to praising God. And mm -hmm. th there is always something to thank God for. Even oh, in amen. the deep valleys, there, there are always things to praise God for, aren't there? Yeah, there are. All right, Alex, I'm going to take a, sh a short break, but before we go to break, I've got a listener with a not-so-serious question for you. Are you ready for this? I'll do my best. Elvis or Johnny Cash? Oh, love them both, love them both, but i got to say, man, the king of rock and roll, it's Elvis. I saw Johnny <laughs> Cash in concert. Uh, it was great. Love Johnny Cash. My wife... This was, of course, way before we married. When Angie was 11, she saw Elvis in concert. Mm. Yes. My <laughs> wife saw Elvis live. Yeah. In 1976, my sister had some tickets uh, to see Elvis. And she said, do you want to go see Elvis with me? And I thought, nah, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't go. Bill Arnold. <laughs> I know. Please don't hold that against me. All right. I'll take a little break. and will be right <laughs> back with Dr. Alex McFarland in just a minute. Sign up for the free Bible in a Year reading plan at MyFaithRadio.com and get everything you need to follow the plan each day and stay on track, including a printed schedule. Sign up now at MyFaithRadio.com. 
I am back with my friend, Dr. Alex McFarlane, which talking to Alex is always a little bit like eating comfort food. It's always a delight. And we are encouraging you as you look upon your year to study God's Word, but also to get engaged with Scripture, where we are exposing and engaging our whole person by showing God and exposing all areas of our life to God and His Word so He can change us and grow us and transform us. So, Alex, I've got one more question that came in from a listener, and it's this. Um, What is a scholar and what is an academic? Great question. I I think the words are probably used synonymously. Uh, You know... I really think there there are, and this is just without having thought about this, there are a lot of academics, and I think of people that are teachers or professors. Scholars, though, seem to distinguish themselves in one particular subject. You know, I mean, if you, like I mentioned, Dr. Gary Habermas, I mean, if you mm-hmm. wanted to point out the, the, the scholar on the resurrection of Christ, right now the, the top one or two would be Gary Habermas and Dr. Michael Lycona. Um, you know, I think about um, there was there have been several people that were great scholars on evangelism and revival. One uh, was a man named Henry Drummond who wrote biographies of Billy Graham, and there was a uh, J. Edwin Orr who was a great scholar of revival. So I think if there is a nuance. But, you know, somebody will say, you know, I'm my history professor, he's a real scholar. But it does seem like scholars seem to have honed in on a specific subject, just like you're going to this year exhaust Philippians 4.8. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I suspect if you and I had a conversation 12 months from now, you would have, you know, put a lot of thought and prayer and intellectual, you know, investment in Philippians and then Philippians 4 than Philippians 4.8. So a scholar, like a, you know, with laser precision, drills down and gets much more out of one subject than maybe even anybody thought possible. And generally, scholars will get published or something like that, but I think it speaks to specialization, a real hmm. specialization. Hopefully, I, I, I would hope, if the good Lord would allow, um, I would be a scholar of apologetics-based evangelism, not just apologetics, like defending the faith. My whole thing 30 years ago, Bill, when I was um, trying to get my dissertation topic approved, I wanted to look at the role of apologetics in evangelism. And and I have to say, I kind of thought it was kind of like, well, sure, you know, apologetics can equip the saved and persuade the lost. You know, God could use it that way. And it was it was amazing how, you know, a lot of pastors that were influential in my life and even some of my, you know, advisors in grad school, they were like, well, evangelism is, you know, like the Four Spiritual Laws or the Romans Road or John 3.16. And apologetics is like C.S. Lewis and, you know, does God exist and can we defend the Christian faith. And I was like, yeah, but don't you see the overlap? And I mean, I got to tell you, for a long time, I, th- I think people thought that I was, you know, crazy. I was like, no, don't you see, if if somebody's an atheist, before they can believe in Jesus, they first have to believe that there's a God. Mm-hmm. And if somebody 
before they can repent of their sin, they need to understand that they are sinners, you know. So my whole thing, I wanted to explore the overlap of evangelism and apologetics. And now it's kind of a given, but 25, 30 years ago, man, it was really a tough sell. So hopefully, if I flatter myself, please forgive me. Hopefully, I'm a scholar on the role of apologetics in evangelism. Mm-hmm. Let's dig in with the time remaining in Matthew chapter 4, because I love talking God's Word with you, and, and I never want to have time with you where we don't discuss part of God's Word, although I've loved the conversation so far. But in Matthew chapter 4, I've been focusing on this uh, for a couple of days, and Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And in verses 3 and 4, it says that the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And it seems that the, that the devil's first temptation is to attack Jesus' trust in the Father's will. Mm. It was the Father's will for him to be there. The Spirit led him out into the wilderness. And it seems that the first thing the enemy wanted to do was get him to misuse his power. I mean, he's in full human form right now. And he's saying, yeah. do a magic trick. Turn these stones into bread. And you don't have to pretend you're human anymore. Well, yeah. Any thoughts to, on that? Well, you know, Hebrews 4.15, speaking of Jesus in his, you know, fully divine, yet fully human, but not fallen human. That's why Jesus is so unique, the incarnation, that mm -hmm. the Son of God took on a human body to go to the cross for us, yes. But everybody, I want to say this to everybody listening, in every juncture of life, you can know, you can know that Jesus really does understand how you feel. Because Amen. Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus was tempted in all points like we, yet he did not sin. So even though he is God incarnate with all of the power of, of deity, omnipotence, he was hungry, you know? From the cross, he said, I thirst, right? So Jesus mm -hmm. felt pain. So he goes into the wilderness, and he 40 days of fasting and prayer. So um, he's hungry. He's weak, and, and there is definitely a connection between physical state and, you know, spiritual resilience. So at a time when he was weak, the, the devil comes in Matthew 4.3 and says, If you're the Son of God, tell these sons to become bread. Jesus answered and says, of course, you know, very famously, Jesus quotes uh, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 and says, um, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So, you know, Bill, you've got these temptations. Turn the stones to bread. Mm -hmm. um, throw yourself down because, hey, if you're going to quote Scripture, you know, Satan says, hey, don't you remember how the Word of God says that he will give his angels charge over you? So Satan comes back with Psalm 91 to Jesus. Then there's this temptation, uh, and he says, you know, uh, all the world I'll give to you if you bow down and worship me. And so Jesus fights, you know, that temptation with Scripture from uh, Deuteronomy that you will worship the Lord God only. So uh, I didn't mean to run ahead of you, but the temptations in the wilderness, um, yeah, I think that was orchestrated. So Jesus, understanding how hunger and physical 
uh, being you know physically compromised. Um, trusting God versus the presumption of throwing yourself off the temple. You know, you don't put God to the test. And yeah. then, um, you know, desire for glory or fame or, um, you know, Satan, if you read Isaiah 14, it was Lucifer that was narcissistic and jealous and wanted to put his throne above God. Uh, the Son of God, Jesus, is not... He doesn't have to guard his deity at all, Philippians 2 says. So Satan says, all this I will give to you, the kingdoms of this world, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord God and serve him only. So all the temptations we might ever feel, Jesus was subjected to those. And yes, he was victorious because he's the son of God, but he was also victorious because he reasoned through it and stood against it based on scripture. And I'll say this, forgive me for being so long-winded, here's one takeaway for us, Bill. We too can be victorious in, in the dark night of the soul by the word of God. Isn't that something? Well, Jesus fantastic. defeated Satan yes. based on scripture, and yes. we can too. I so needed to hear that today, Alex. Thank you. Your timing was perfect once again. Um, aren't we blessed to know the Lord? Yes. yes. Oh, are we ever? Are we ever? And you just—that was that's a that's a balm to my soul today. Thank you for that. Those words. Well, God bless you. I just want to say to you and everybody at Faith Radio how I love and appreciate all of you and the listeners. And uh, let's just have a great year in the Lord and uh, encourage each other. And I just thank God for my friendship with Bill Arnold. Amen. I feel the same way, Alex. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Bless you, my friend. Bye-bye. You bet. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. You can go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex. Again, that's alexmcfarland.com. After a short break, we've got a full hour with Jeff Verdorn. We're going to talk about who is this Jesus, and we're going to focus on the Sermon on the Mount. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.